Welcome to MediaPost's Brand Insider. I'm your host, Steve Smith, Editorial Director of Events here at MediaPost. Each week, we interview marketing leaders from companies old and new about how they build and evolve their brands on an unpredictable media and culture terrain. In addition to this full audio interview in podcast form, we also publish a companion newsletter with highlights from the Q&A. MediaPost has been covering marketing and media news for over 20 years. You can find the Brand Insider Weekly as well as our daily coverage at MediaPost.com. Now, let's get into it. Let's welcome to Brand Insider, Alex Shaheen, who is the Senior Director of Product Marketing at Hims and Hers. Uh, the company started in 2017 and is one of the highest profile D2C health product brands, best known on the Hims side for its ED and hair loss solutions and on the Hers side for prescription skincare, but it's branched out into more product lines and telehealth services telehealth services. Alex is no stranger at D2C marketing. He came to Hims and Hers after several years at Lyft, but he also is grounded in legacy branding with several years working with on the reward side for American Express. Alex, welcome. Where do we find you today? Uh, you find me in San Francisco between two house plants that I've been working between for the past year and a half. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, so we want to talk about basic brand building uh, to start, uh, since all D2C brands uh, seem to follow, seem to have followed a similar playbook, but are mixing it up as they're starting to expand into new product lines and, and move into different styles of customer acquisition. So tell us, uh, what were the main customer acquisition channels uh, that proved most effective traditionally for hims and hers? Well, how did you build the brand? That is a great question. I would say what, what we've found over the past several years is that it really takes an engine of several channels working together. And this is important for our category because when you think about prescription treatment and people taking care of their health, a lot of trust building is necessary. Not only that, but it's a new category for many people. They're experiencing taking care of their health from home for the first time. They're used to the old way, right? Where you would go to a doctor's office, maybe take a half a day off work, sit you know, in a waiting room for a while, just waiting for a short conversation. So what we have to do is explain what the brand and the service is in a really clear way that builds that trust quickly. What that means, though, is people are at different levels of readiness. They are at different points of the customer journey. Some people are not even aware that they even have a problem yet. You think of some of our core conditions like hair loss for men or erectile dysfunction, and those things don't happen overnight. They take some time to really build up. And the role of channels like TV or out of home or audio there is really critical because it, it makes people even aware that there's something that they could do to solve this budding problem. But as you go lower in the problem, uh, in, in the customer journey, we get more and more precise. That's, that's where things like digital and certainly SEM and SEO get really powerful as people know what kinds of solutions they're looking for. But I would say when we think back to the early days of hims and hers, some of the things that we're best known for is taking advantage of places that people wouldn't even think of as conventional advertising space. At the time, the acquisition team actually went around to different sports arenas and stadiums and said, hey, would you sell that space above the urinals? So what would happen is people would go into the bathroom and you've got a captive audience, right? They're, they're in the bathroom taking a break and they see an ad for hymns um, in what would otherwise be totally dead inventory space. So th this was how we were able to find some uh, cost effective and effective messaging wise placements in the early days of the brand that helped us get some attention. Oh. Uh, when did you start using TV? Uh, TV in, in early days and it was very 
direct response in that we would explain what the product is, what it does, how it works. You come online, you get met by a provider who figures out if a prescription is right for you and it gets shipped right, right to your door. So we've used TV for a while, but in, in different ways with different messages uh, to see what's most effective at, at different stages of the company. And how about the social channels? Since that's the place where most D2Cs were sort of the, the bulwark for most D2C brand building, what role did, you know, you're using, so somewhere between urinals and TV, there's social. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Social is definitely one of the bigger drivers of acquisition for us. And you can imagine why this is powerful, right? You are scrolling through your feed and boom, you're hit with a compelling ad. Not to mention some of these are conditions that people are afraid to talk to other people about, right? They're not often talking to their buddies about ED or hair loss. So they're really well suited for something like a social feed when you're kind of in this passive consumption mode and your interest is piqued by an interesting testimonial image. Um, that brings you to a marketing landing page where we can really go deeper on that trust building that, that we were talking about. So social is really important because it, it hooks your interest for these questions that you're kind of nervous to talk to other people about, takes you to a place you can learn more and ushers you right into that online experience where you're matched with a provider. So um, now that's an interesting um, uh, problem. You've got, you've got a, a lot of brand building. It's also brand education, even condition education. Uh, yes, part of that. Uh, but then you've got this performance piece in, in social. Um, and then, as you said, as you started out by saying, there are all these different levels of awareness and readiness for this product. And I imagine then you've got to be using data pretty heavily to better understand where your target is as they're interacting with you. Tell us a little bit about how you sort of navigate that brand versus performance divide, the sort of data infrastructure you guys use for understanding where somebody is in the customer journey so that you understand how you're supposed to talk to them? Absolutely. That is a great question. I would say that everything that we put in market um, is surrounded by this culture of learning internally and learning in two big ways. There's certainly a heavy experimentation culture where we are A-B testing lots of different ads that we're putting in market, copy that we're putting in market. But even before that, further upstream, doing the right customer research and insights work to understand what would resonate with people. So I'll, I'll give you one example. We found that ED is an interesting category because many people, many companies talk about this in a really direct way, solve, solve the condition, tackle ED. What we found through Deeper Insights work is that actually there's a really important partner component. Uh, what, what we found is that most of our ED customers are in a really stable long-term relationship, whether they're married or, or have a long-term significant other. Now that opens up an interesting new dynamic to talk about, oh, it's not just you going through this, your partner's also being affected. Maybe they are feeling like they're less desirable, something's wrong in the relationship, something is changing, you're drifting apart. And how do we understand how that message should play a role in upper funnel messaging to pique your interest. Because now you've got a message like that in TV. We found that this kind of relationship message actually works really well in TV because it gets people to consider, oh, I didn't even realize that maybe this was affecting my partner too. I do want to take action on this. I do want to do something about that. So that's a good example of where I would say we tested into it to, to see if that kind of relationship-oriented messaging worked better than the control message we had in market. But it's also really rooted in customer insights and 
understanding what people need to believe about the brand to become interested in it. So yes, there's conventionally this, this divide between brand and performance, but I think in, in many instances, that's sort of a false dichotomy because through the messages you choose, the photography you choose, the videography you choose, you can still further the brand and, and really show that you are speaking to these core human needs that people have, but make sure that it's performing on the other end as well. Now, um, one of the things that we've heard from a number of D2Cs uh, over the last uh, year, through, well, year and a half through the pandemic, is that one of the functions of the pandemic for them was that it introduced them to a whole new clientele uh, because they, they had a core of believers a lot. And this may this is probably less true for the telehealth uh, category, which obviously had like a tsunami of interest. But uh, a lot of DCs were posed with a new problem. They had a sort of core constituency of digital native consumers who were sort of already pre-convinced that this channel was good for them. And then suddenly they were confronted with all of these newbies that needed to be talked to in a very different way. Uh, and I'm curious how your allocation, how your, how your media strategy changed just as a result of the pandemic. That's a great question, too. I would say that, like many brands, we found that there was less foot traffic in cities, so not as much spend in channels like out of home, but certainly increasing that spend in, in digital because that, as we were talking about, is a great extension of the customer journey. Peak your interest in feed and just take you right into that online experience where you can talk to a provider and get evaluated for medication. I would say we've also started exploring new channels that might be even more specific to the audience. So a good example of this is you think of a condition like ED and you think of a channel like Tinder. A lot of people dating and pursuing relationships on, on that app, that is a really well-timed message to say, hey, if you have this question or this problem, we can definitely help you. And so that's a way, even without knowing a whole lot about that audience, just picking the right channel can tell us something really critical. Uh, and so we're definitely Definitely exploring new digital channels in that front. Um, I would also say what has become a budding channel for us is retail. Over the past couple of years, we've started selling our non-prescription products at uh, Target. And what we found is that's a really important way to get in front of a lot of customers who are just entering markets like, like hair loss. And what we found is it's really critical to land those key messages and value props on the front of that shampoo bottle or the front of that box, because that's what people are seeing, right? And it's so hard to get people to even pick up a package and look at the other side. So we've done a lot of refinement over the past couple of years. And how do we really make our shampoos, conditioners, and so on really sing on shelf because they are surrounded by 80 other thickening shampoos, for instance. But it's also an amazing, I think one of the things the pandemic uh, sort of drove home, which theoretically I think everybody already knew, is the branding importance and awareness importance of the shelf and just the storefront, that physical, the physical presence that, re that really drives and grows just awareness of brand. I had you know, a number of retailers that I spoke to, some in the, in the skincare and, and, um, and eye care realm said, they re it really drove home how important just having that physical presence on the street, in the plaza. And then others like you, D2Cs who cut deals with Walmart said, my God, the awareness just went through the roof because suddenly we were just on shelves and people saw the brand. Absolutely. As you can imagine, even during the pandemic, people still have to stock up on basics. So they are going to these big box stores many times, right? And what I would say is um, there's a lot of customers who enter the market 
not ready for prescription. We love when people are ready for prescription because it gets them to some of the most effective treatment quickly. But a lot of people need what I would call a stepping stone product. They want to try that shampoo first. In hair loss, for instance, many men report trying a shampoo or a supplement before they ever consider taking a pill to solve the condition. So you can see right there, that's that's why during the pandemic, because people are stocking up on these basic goods, they might not yet be ready for prescription. That is why a channel like Retail can certainly hold some power. So uh, you are honestly, you're probably the third in the category I've spoken to just in the last year. Uh, this is a category that obviously is exploding, but it's grown cluttered very quickly, like a lot of DTCs. What are the points of differentiation for you? How do you how do you draw those distinctions among all of you? I think it's imperative to deeply understand what the customer wants in two ways. There's the shorter term and the longer term. In the shorter term, I think it's about explaining to customers who can best help me with my problem now. And what we found works really well for us is striking the right brand tone. And that is being warm and welcoming and destigmatizing these conditions. Many people are really nervous to talk about these conditions. It's not easy to talk about hair loss or ED. And they're so concerned about it that they don't even talk to their own doctors. They're not advocating for themselves. So we found that the right messaging being this warm and welcoming presence really helps people open up and realize that taking care of themselves is normal and, and and they really should act on it. So that's one way is through the, the tone and the messaging in this shorter term stage too. I would also say that leaning into the personalization of treatment that we can provide has been really powerful. You think of prescription medication and for a category like hair loss, people really tend to only think of pills. It actually turns out there are other options out there. We found through our research that a lot of people were afraid to take a pill. They thought that that was too advanced of a step for them. So we, over the past year, launched a new topical finasteride spray. It's that same prescription ingredient, but in a spray form. And we actually leaned into that. We called it the unpill. We marketed it as you getting uh, to take advantage of the preferences that you wanted out of treatment, getting more personalized treatment. And that's done really well for us. But you can also think of some of the other products we have. Is it shampoos? Is it supplements? People don't just want a one size fits all treatment. They want something that feels like it's tailored to them specifically and their goals. So that, those are some of the big things that we do now. Thinking ahead, if you look at our pattern of investment, uh, we started with ED and hair, but we expanded to skin and dermatology. We expanded to mental health. We're always looking at other categories to pursue. I think the power there becomes that we can be this front door for healthcare. We are a first place that people go over time when they have a health or wellness question. And I think this is powerful for, for two way, two reasons. The first reason is the, the substitute is going to Google and, and ending up on WebMD or a scary page. And you sort of end up reading about a condition or a health question you have, and you leave that experience feeling more stressed than when you began. So if we can be seen as this one place, this entry point for, for health and wellness, where you're getting legitimate credible answers, that's really powerful. The other part of that in the long term, when we invest in these different categories and conditions over time is I think of an analog like Amazon. You know, you look at them, they started with books, expanded to electronics and appliances, expanded to content, expanded to groceries. And now 
more product searches start on Amazon than start on Google, right? When somebody's say looking for a coffee maker, they go to that Amazon search bar before they go to the Google search bar. I see something similar with us in healthcare over time. It'll take time to get there, but the goal is to be seen as that one place where you can get personalized health treatment. Uh, and I think that will be a huge competitive advantage in the long term. So two things you said there about, um, uh, about it seems to be related to content. Um, because if you're if you're if you're sort of trying to become the more comforting version of the scare of the scare sites, the health care sites, that puts a tremendous pressure on developing content that satisfies that need, as well as CRM, uh, because you're you're talking about high levels of personalization. So tell us a little bit. Those those sound like two major investments. Tell us a little bit about how you expanded internally those two areas where you have a, an approach to developing more content and then also on the CRM side, how you're developing and maintaining that level of personalization. Absolutely. I would say the content in terms of getting people interested tends to be on our product pages, the PDPs and subcategory pages that explain overall conditions and the products you can use to treat them in our blog. The, the benefit of our blog is it is um, it, it tends to be medically reviewed content. We actually put a lot of that information in front of our medical team. So when people have really specific questions about hair loss, they often end up on one of our pages, whether it's just addressing that condition or a product that can help that, that condition. Through CRM, you raise a really interesting point because, again, that's where the journey matters. If we didn't get them to convert all the way through that flow and get a prescription medication, they need different kind of content to convince them than people that did convert. They want more of that trust building content. Maybe they want to see before and afters of other success stories from, uh, from other customers, because as you can imagine, pictures of people regrowing their hair are really convincing. Anecdotes from how um, couples saved their marriage or relationship through the right ED medication are really compelling to motivate people. But once you convert, it's about understanding what you want out of treatment. And a lot of people need guidance on getting the most out of their treatment, how do I take this medication? Because what you send me in the mail is oftentimes from a, a pharmacy, a big old pamphlet with 0.8 font that is really, really hard to comprehend. So what we do is we make sure to break these nuggets into digestible bite-sized pieces so you actually understand how to take your medication. For something like ED, we talked about that partner connection. Many men need a little bit of help understanding how to talk to their partner about their condition. So we also craft content. Well, here's how, here are a few tips for how you could have that conversation with your partner that you think it's ED going on and, and you've started treatment. So I would say it varies again by customer journey, by category and understanding not just that medical content, but that real life, real talk kind of content to help you understand how to get the most out of that treatment. So how are you uh, how are you getting that personalized content to them? Are you using uh, personalized um, uh, personalized email chains? Are you using a customized journey on site? You, you mentioned they're all obviously you're talking about an awful lot of triggers and an awful lot of customer journey mapping to better understand where that customer is and what content they need. What's the what are the main delivery mechanisms that work? 
Absolutely. There is a lot that comes through email drip series today. Um, you wouldn't think of it immediately, but actually the box that comes to your door is pretty important as well. When you think about, I just got a package in the mail. I'm excited to start taking this new medication. That's a critical moment to set you up for success and explain what you should really pay attention to in all of the information that's out there. Um, and then we're continuing to look at, at new ways we can, can deliver that. It, to your point, is it through a dynamic site experience? Are there other channels we should evaluate? But email plays a big role today. Inbox plays a big role today. And, and we're continuing to invest more. So I have to, to round it out, I wanted the one place where I think people are seeing your brand a lot is in celebrity partnerships. Uh, the one that I'm seeing the most of is, is your Miley Cyrus uh, partnership, but that's just one of several. I think you're partnering with various retail groups, you're, far, you're partnering with a lot of different entities. Tell us a little bit about um, that strategy. Why, uh, why those partnerships for this brand at this time? What work does it do? Um, and what sort of impact are you, say, already seeing from it? We are finding that these partnerships, you mentioned Miley Cyrus, uh, we've also worked with JLo for our hers hair loss kind of category. We have partnered with DoorDash to increase distribution. We've worked with Gronk on the him side for hair loss and, and mental health. We're finding that these can be a huge lever of growth for a couple of reasons. One, uh, they help cut through the noise, right? They, they are a notable figure that stands out in, in creative. Uh, and two, for a brand that is continuing to grow we and create a new category, they play a role in fast trust building. You see Miley next to a prescription treatment and a brand name that you are new to, and it really helps give this halo of credibility faster than not including them would. So what we like to do is find people that can relate to these conditions. For, for Miley, for instance, she has really found benefit in her own life personally to using prescription skincare treatment, and she wanted to share that story with people. So the more authentic we can find that connection to be, the more it ties to the prescription treatment, the more it helps cut through the noise and build that trust quickly. So we continue to optimize that, that creative and, and find ways to use those partnerships to, to scale the brand. They, uh, is it expanding? Is it something like this partnership with Miley Cyrus, with JLo? Do, do, they, um, do they expand you into new demographics or are they simply helping, helping you get better, better reach into your target demos? I think they absolutely help expand. There's a great anecdote from our work with JLo where she actually started using minoxidil, which is a hair, a topical hair regrowth treatment. When she found that her hair was under stress from being under stage lights, being styled all the time during performances. And this product was a saving grace for her. It had helped her hair grow in more uh, thick and, and fuller. So what I would say that does is it speaks to people that might not have always thought of themselves as a severe hair loss customer. Customer. You think of women's hair loss, and you might think more aggressive patchiness or very big parts in the hair. And I think by normalizing that you can use this product, even if you're not all the way to that level of severity, but if you have a more moderate hair growth goal, has really helped us appeal to different kinds of audiences. Alex Shaheen of, uh, of Hims and Hers, thank you so much. That was great. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Thanks for hitting play on MediaPost's Brand Insider podcast. We're here each week interviewing marketing executives from large and small, legacy and emerging brands. 
They share their experiences navigating the challenges of commercial clutter, media distraction, and consumer disinterest. You can also subscribe to the Brand Insider newsletter for edited text editions of these Q&As. For this and all of the marketing and media news reporting MediaPost has provided the industry for two decades, head over to MediaPost.com. And if you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions for Brand Insider, you can always reach me, Steve Smith, at steve at MediaPost.com. Until next week, let's market carefully out there. <laughs>